morning and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today. Whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5, we are grateful for you being here today and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you and enjoy the stream. Let's try that one more time. Are y'all excited we get to worship? All right, very good. Let's go ahead and let's stand together and let's sing Battle Belongs to kick off our worship service.
give the Lord a big hand today? You may be seated at this time, and would you join me for a word of prayer this morning? Uh, Father, we love you so much, and we are so grateful uh, for the work and the ministry of your Holy Spirit uh, who is moving amongst us. And Brother Caleb, during our Sunday school hour, stood in this room, and he reminded us where two or three are gathered in your name, there you'll be in the midst. And he told us at the very end, he said, the Lord Jesus saves and therefore we shall worship. And that, that is just a, it just stuck with me for the last 20 minutes since he said that. And he also said in that Sunday school lesson today, uh, he said, you know, if we don't worship, the rocks will cry out. And he said, I fear the thought that the rocks would have to worship in my stead. Lord, I pray that today we come with a heart set on you. That we have truly in our hearts and our minds, we've spent time with you this entire week and, and today is not a show. Today is not just to look good in front of everybody else that's around us, but that we really truly come in today to look heavenward and to praise you for the work that you're doing in our lives. And I realize that there's some in the room today walking on a spiritual mountain and they are praising you and they are worshiping you because of, uh, of just the, uh, the, the indescribable peace and joy and provision and protection that you're giving them right now. But I also know that there are some people in the room that are down in a valley and yet they are still praising you. I see them every week. And I know their stories and I know their heart and I know what they're going through. And when I see them with their hands lifted heavenward, I get so much encouragement. Because you tell us in James to consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work that you might be mature, complete, lacking nothing. And so all these folks, they're raising their hands to you no matter the top of the mountain or in the valley. They know one thing for certain, that you are a good shepherd that leads us beside the still waters. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And what a joy it is to know the Holy Spirit's work in the believer. And what a joy it is to know Jesus. And it's Jesus to whom we give our praise today. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. And we say these things in Jesus' name today. Amen. And amen. We are so grateful uh, that you are with us today to worship with us here at Flat Creek Baptist. We still see a lot of folks coming in. So if you notice that there's some room where you are, if you could just kind of scooch over to the middle of your aisles there, make some room for these folks that are coming in. There's also some room up in the balcony if you're there in the back right now. Uh, we're thankful to have a full house. Amen. Uh, but not just are we... Um, have a full house here, but also remember we are online and the radio also every Sunday morning. So let's give those folks online and on the radio a big hand today. 
and so thankful for them. But if you are here in person for the first time today, you are our honored guest, and we are so grateful that you're with us today. And in the back of your pews, you're going to find a green connection card. If you could fill that connection card out for us on your way out the double doors this morning, you're going to see a connections desk right there. If you could turn that in for us, we have a free gift for you, but that's also our way to walk with you during the week. Now, oftentimes here at Flat Creek, folks come and they visit for a while, and then they want to join and become a part of our family, a part of, uh, of who we are at Flat Creek. Today, we have Miss Sally Burton. Miss Sally, if you'll come up this way. Come on, Miss Sally, y'all give Sally a big hand. And I'm going to ask her grandson, Wes, to come up here, too. Y'all might know Wes. Uh, Wes. <laughs> Wes was baptized here a few months ago, and after he was baptized, Miss Sally started coming and attending, and she's been a part of our church family now for some time. And she told me right before Christmas, Right at the beginning of the new year, I want to make it official. And so here she is today to be a part of the body of Christ. Y'all give her a big hand. Listen, she's going to be, her and Wes are going to be standing right here at the front as we have our time of fellowship. If you'll stand to your feet as we have our time of fellowship, you swing by here, tell her how grateful you are to have them as members of the body of Christ today.
that an exciting thing we get to sing about? How many of you feel like you earned grace? Good, 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 good. Look, we don't get to determine that we are deserving of grace, but God did. And he said, in my mercy and wisdom and sovereignty, I'm going to give it to you. Breeze is going to lead us in this next song, Broken Vessels. I'm going to challenge you real quick. Try to remember the first time you encountered the grace of God. Let's sing together.
going to sing one more song, but before we do, I just got to share something with you real quick. Pastor Zach let me teach Sunday school, and that's real bad. He got me in a talking mood, but I just want to leave this with you. Romans chapter 8 has been a blessing, and we're only one week in. I hope it's been a blessing for you, but today's sermon, as we move on past just verse 1, 2, and 3, it's going to convict you. I'm just telling you, if you open your heart, it's going to convict you, and you're going to realize that at the end of the day, one thing matters. Are you spirit-minded or are you flesh-minded? Do you have Christ or do you not?
this time, if you are kindergarten through fifth grade and you've pre-registered for Children's Church, you may be dismissed at this time to go to Children's Church. Miss Breeze is going to meet you right here behind the piano. You know, I, I just, I was listening to the praise team sing and which Stephen Smith, who was singing the solo on that last song, uh, you know, if, if, if you know somebody and you know their story, it makes it even more special. Amen? Amen. And, and just knowing each and every individual on this stage, you have to understand that, that what you see up here are just objects of God's grace. None of them are perfect. And they're just singing from the overflow of their heart. And as I was listening to them this morning sing, I, I just got to thinking, you know, here at Flat Creek, we may not have what a lot of other places have in terms of facilities, in terms of finances, in terms of lights and all these different things. But one thing we do have is Jesus. And that's what, that's what makes us unique. And I'm not knocking anybody else. I'm just saying that's what makes Flat Creek unique is that we have Jesus. And, and I want you to just look around you this morning because you might be here for the very first time. You may have never come into Flat Creek before. Maybe just somebody invited you. You're just here because you just, uh, you know, for whatever reason. 
Uh, but I, I want you to look around because what you see around you this morning are imperfect people. Amen. And imperfect people who know they're imperfect people but who are desperately and madly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are all recipients of God's grace. And so maybe you're here today and you have never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I always want to keep in front of you an invitation. If at any point while I'm preaching, at any point while somebody's singing, if you ever feel that you need to be saved, all you have to do is just come down here and say, I need to be saved. We'll stop everything we're doing that moment. I promise you. Now, don't do that if you're trying to get out of here by 12 o'clock and you just think that'll shut him up, okay? 12 o'clock rolls around. Somebody better get saved in this place. Go up there real quick. But no, I'm serious. We'll, we'll stop everything because that is what is of utmost importance. So I want you to turn your Bibles today to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to be looking at verse number 1 through verse number 11. If you're joining us for the very first time today, we have been in the book of Romans now for well over a year. Romans is just a wonderful book of the Bible. Some have called the book of Romans Paul's magnum opus. They say that Romans is his finest work. The entire letter that the, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome is his great apologetic, is his great defense of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is doing in the book of Romans is he is setting the gospel against other man-made religions, other man-made schemes, other man-made philosophies to show that the gospel is superior. Throughout this entire letter, Paul has been testifying of your need for the gospel. And we remember today that the gospel is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans, we have covered substantial grounds, chapters one through three, the entire world is condemned. We are all guilty in the courtroom of God. Chapters four and five, we are justified freely by his grace. From chapter six all the way to chapter eight, we've been diving deeper into this doctrine of sanctification. And so I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in chapter eight, beginning in verse one through verse number 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Somebody say amen. amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen. Now, if you like to underline, if you like to highlight, I would encourage you to highlight or underline the end of that verse. So, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because Paul is going to take that thought and he's going to give us the next few verses. For those who are according to the flesh, your translation might say after the flesh. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. 
For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Verse number 8. And those who are in the flesh, listen, cannot. Can I reiterate it again? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now we're going to Stop there today. That's where we're going to get to. But I want you to listen to verse 12 through 14 just for context. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Verse 6 through 8, we've been talking about this doctrine of sanctification. The sanctification is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer to purify us from sin and to make us holy vessels fit for his use. Now you will notice that I said that sanctification is a progressive work. I did not say that it's an instantaneous work. Our justification, our salvation, that's instantaneous. That's a one-time declaration of righteousness upon the life of the believer, the moment that we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, sanctification is progressive. It goes throughout our entire life. As we walk with Christ. You might remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the ebb and flow of the Christian life, the highs and the lows. Friends, we've been talking about this for weeks now. This truth is seen across the book of Romans. Although we have been saved from sin, let us not remember, let us not forget that sin is not dead. The propensity to sin still remains as long as we are in these mortal bodies. It was John Piper who in 1983 preached a message entitled The Flesh Versus the Spirit, and he spoke extensively on this war that rages in the life of the believer. In the following illustration he gave, I, I believe is, is very fitting, and it, and, it, and it really speaks to what we've been going through. So I want you to listen to what he says. John Piper said, picture your flesh, that old ego, with the mentality of merit and craving for power and reputation and self-reliance. Picture it as a dragon living in some cave in your soul. And then one day you hear the gospel, and in the gospel, Jesus Christ comes to you and says, I will make you mine, and I will take possession of the cave, and I will slay the dragon. 
Will you yield to my possession? It will mean a whole new way of thinking and feeling and acting. And you say back to Jesus, but the dragon is me and I will die. And Jesus says, yes, but I will raise you to newness of life. For I will take your life and I will make my mind and my will and my heart your own. And you say, what must I do? And Jesus says, trust me and do as I say. As long as you trust me, we cannot lose. And overcome by the beauty and the power of Christ, you bow and you swear eternal loyalty and trust. And as you rise, he puts a great sword in your hand and he says, follow me. And he leads you to the mouth of the cave and he says, go in and slay the dragon. But you look at Jesus bewildered and you say, I cannot, not without you. To which Jesus smiles and says, well said, you learn quickly, never forget my commands for you to do something are never commands to do it alone. And then you enter the cave together and a horrible battle follows and you feel Christ's hand on yours. At last, the dragon lies limp and you ask Jesus the question, is it dead? And then Jesus answers and says, I have come to give you new life. And this you received when you yielded to my possession and swore faith and loyal to, loyalty to me. And now with my sword and my hand, you have felled the dragon of the flesh. It is a mortal wound, and the dragon will die, that is certain. But it has not yet bled to death. And the dragon may yet revive with violent convulsions and do much harm. So you must treat it as dead, and you must seal the cave as a tomb. The Lord of darkness may cause earthquakes in your soul to shake the stones loose, but you build them up again. And have this confidence. With my sword and my hand on yours, the dragon's doom is sure. He is finished, and your life is secure. I love the way that he finished that illustration. He finished it with that line, your life is secure. Friends, the security of the believer despite the frailty of our humanity and our propensity to delve back into the things that once ensnared us is one of the great doctrines of Scripture. Doctrinally, doctrinally is known as the perseverance of the saints. The biblical truth that he who started a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion. Friends, if Christ has started a work in you, he will not stop his work in you even when you fail. Instead, through his chastening rod, he will discipline you, producing in you godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. A believer may fall back into sin, but a believer cannot stay there. A true believer can never, I repeat it, a true believer can never be satisfied in sin, scripturally. Now, you take your Bible and you verify, don't just listen to me. Scripturally, it is impossible for a believer to be satisfied in sin. Now, the enemy is subtle. And this is what we've learned in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, we learn that sin uses that which is good against the believer. 
And so what sin does is sin takes doctrines such as the perseverance of the saints and verses like Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and sin leverages it to his own advantage. Sin comes and whispers in your ear, well, if you're secure in Christ, and if Romans 8, 1 is true, and there really is no condemnation for the believer, then why don't you just go ahead and sin? I mean, after all, you can't lose your salvation. Just get forgiveness later. I mean, aren't you in his hand? Isn't that what the Bible says? Friends, I would say that any true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, as they learn about the doctrine of grace and how grace is a free gift, not of works, lest any man should boast, I would say we've probably all wrestled with this conundrum. If grace abounds when my sin multiplies, then why not just sin more? And I think the reason that we wrestle with this idea is the fact that when we preach grace as a free gift, we do not really convey properly the full scope of the grace we receive. So let me give you a little illustration. When I was a young preacher, I used to get asked all the time to come and preach youth conferences. And, and I'll tell you guys today, there's nothing that makes me more nervous than preaching to youth, okay? I would rather stand in front of 85,000 people, none of them being youth, than I would a group of 20 high schoolers. They scare me to death, okay? <laughs> Mouth gets dry, palms are sweaty, knees knock together. I mean, it's awful. But, but when I'd go and stand before these youth, I would, I would go and I would talk to them oftentimes about grace. And so before I would leave the house, I would intentionally put a $5 bill in my pocket. And when I would step up on stage at these conferences that I was preaching at, the very first thing I would do, I'd play a little game. I'd, I'd put my hand in my pocket and I'd say, oh, look at that. I found $5. Does anybody want $5? And you'd be amazed. The majority of kids don't want $5. They'd keep their hands down. That's because they knew I was about to call them on stage. But a few would throw their hands up, and I would pick a random kid, just some stranger that I didn't know, and I'd call them up on stage. And I'd say, you want the five bucks? Yeah, I want the five dollars. I'd say, okay, well, here you go. And I'd go to hand it to them, and just as they're about to grab the five dollars out of my hand, I'd snatch it back. And I'd say, well, wait a minute. I, I got some qualifying questions I need to ask before I give it to you. And so I'd say, before tonight, have, have you and I ever had a conversation? No, we've never talked before. Have you ever been to my house? No, I've never been to your house. H have you ever done any work for me? Have you ever washed my car, babysat my children? Have you ever cut my grass? Have you ever done anything for me? No, never. Okay, well, here's $5. And the kid would smile and run off the stage, and I would say, that's a good illustration of grace. This young person has done nothing to deserve it. It's just a free gift, and that is a good illustration of grace. However, I don't think it's the best illustration of grace. You see, here recently, I was out running one morning, and I'm a long-distance runner, and so that's when I plan sermons is while I'm out there running. So you re wonder why I preach for so long. It's because it takes a long time to run 12 miles. And so this is what I think about the whole time I'm out there. So while I'm out there running, I'm thinking about these things, and I'm thinking about this definition of grace. And this $5 bill that I used to give to kids, I thought, yeah, that's a good illustration, but is it the best illustration? And I don't think it is. 
I think there's actually a better illustration. You see, what if today, before we came, unbeknownst to you, let's just say that you don't know me, I don't know you, I'm just a guest preacher here, but before I came to this room, I pulled up a random person's credit report. And on that credit report, I see that you have a mortgage, you have a car payment, you have student loans, and you have credit card debt. And I don't know how much you owe, but let's just say you owe $500,000. I walk in the room, I'm the guest preacher, and I say, hey, look, and I just call on a random person. Brady Clark, you come up here. This guy comes up, and he's standing beside me, and I say, listen, do you know me? He says, no, I don't know you. And I say, okay, well, listen, before I came, I got your name. I pulled your credit report, and you owe $500,000 in debt. But before I came, I called every credit card company. I called the mortgage company. I called your student loan bank, and I paid it in full. Your debt has been completely paid. That's actually a better illustration of grace. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's a debt that you owe. There's a debt that I owe. And Jesus paid that debt on the cross of Calvary. Friends, you never forget this. Grace is free. But the ability of God to actually apply that grace to our lives cost him everything. This is why he writes in Romans 8, 3, and 4, for what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Paul is reminding us in those two verses why there is no condemnation. And the reason there's no condemnation is because our sin debt by grace has been paid in full. And then across Romans 8, he teaches us of these amazing benefits that we have now that we've given our life to Christ, now that we've been justified. He tells us there's no condemnation. We have assurance. He tells us that we've been adopted into the family of God. He tells us that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Indeed, the Holy Spirit and Christ interceding for us on behalf of the believer at the throne of God. Across Romans 8, Paul is highlighting for the believer the benefits you have in your new life in Christ as opposed to the condemnation that you faced in your old life apart from Christ. Friends, all these things that Paul talks about in Romans 8 are yours the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit, adoption, Christ Jesus, all these things are yours the moment you give your life to Christ. It's no wonder why Paul also writes in Romans chapter 8, you are more than conquerors through Christ who loved you. Now, here's where the genius of Paul is on display once again. You see, friends, these things are true of the believer. 
But if these things are true of the believer, all these benefits are given to the believer, guess what? That means they're not true for the unbeliever. As Charles Spurgeon once said, as there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, so we may solemnly say there is therefore now a most weighty condemnation on you who are not in Christ Jesus, who are walking not after the Spirit, but after the flesh. You see, friends, Paul knew nothing of the modern-day evangelical movement in America known as easy believism which equates salvation to a mystical prayer you pray in the heightened emotionalism, only to go back to living the same way tomorrow. Now think about it. I've paid Brady's debt. I've paid the whole $500,000. It's been paid in full. He owes nothing now. How foolish if the first thing he does when he leaves this place is say, Dad, can you take me to Walmart? And he walks in the store, takes out his credit card, and starts incurring debt again. He's been paid to live free of it. Why would he ever enslave himself to it again? But yet that's what so many who claim to be followers of Christ do. They have this prayer, this magical moment, they say they've been justified, they say they've been saved, yet they walk out the door and do the same thing. My mind races back to when I was a young preacher. The first funeral that I ever preached, I'll never forget it. I went in and it was the craziest thing. It was my first week as a pastor and that first week as a pastor, I had three people die my first week. And I had to convince Second Baptist Church that it was not a ministry of death, <laughs> okay? <laughs> And so, I'll never forget, it's the first funeral I ever preached. I went in, I sat down on the front row. I was so nervous to be preaching this funeral. I sat down next to the other pastor, and I told him, I said, sir, I'm so nervous. And he said, well, if I could say one thing to you, this is what I'd say. And listen to what he said. He said, you know, we preachers, we lie more at funerals than we do at any other time. I had no idea what he meant at that moment. But here's what he meant. Preachers will never stand before a congregation and tell the truth about a person being lost and in hell at their funeral. Instead, we, we go through their life with a fine-tooth comb. We find something good. We find something noble. We find this moment of religious zeal. And then we stand before the family and give them this false sense of security that their loved one is in heaven despite evidence to the contrary. They may have said they followed Christ, they may have said they believe in the Bible. They may have said a prayer every night before they went to bed, yet the fruit of their life showed that they did not follow Christ. The fruit of their life showed they did not believe in the Bible. And that prayer they prayed every night before they went to bed was nothing more than a get-out-of-hell-free card instead of a true prayer of repentance. Let me ask you a question. Is that person truly saved who claims Christ yet lives in opposition to his teaching and the Spirit's conviction in their heart? According to the Apostle Paul, the answer to that question is an emphatic no. They are not saved. All these benefits that we see in Romans 8 that are given to the believers are not theirs. They have no assurance 
They have not been adopted. They do not have the Holy Spirit. They are not in Christ, which leads to a natural question. Well, pastor, how can I know for sure that I'm saved? Well, the easiest way to answer that question is to answer it with this follow-up question. You're going to see it coming up on your screen. Where is your mind? Where is your mind? You see, what Paul does in Romans 8 is he writes this letter, and what he does is he forces us to look into the mirror to determine if indeed you are in Christ. Now, in other portions of Scripture, Paul says there are only two categories of people who are living, only two types of people that are walking the face of the earth. You're either saved or you're lost. That's it. Paul never looks and says there's white, there's black, there's tall, there's short, there's pretty, there's ugly. He never says any of that. He just says there's saved or there's lost. And then here in Romans 8, he actually takes out a magnifying glass and says, if you want to know which of these two categories you fall in, lost or saved, just answer this question, where's your mind? Romans chapter 8, verse 5, what does he say? So plain, so simple. For those who are after the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. They have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who are after the Spirit, they think about the things of the Spirit. Their mindset is on the Spirit. So let's look at these two mindsets. Number one, the mindset of the flesh. If we're going to talk about the mindset of the flesh, we must first define what's meant by the word flesh. Pastor W.G. Scroggie, I think, defined it best when he said the flesh may be defined as a man's fallen nature under the power of sin. It is the evil principle in man's nature, the traitor within, who is in league with the attackers without. The flesh provides the tinder on which the devil's temptations can kindle a fire. The flesh is that desire to please your fallen nature with the things of this world. And Paul says that the mindset of the flesh is directly opposite to the mindset of the spirit. What's he say? Verse 6, the mindset on the flesh is what? Death. The mindset on the spirit is what? Life and peace. Could there be two things more opposite? Life and death. John 10, 10, the enemy, the thief, has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. What's the enemy's goal? To kill you, to steal from you, to destroy you. But Jesus says, I've come to give you what? Life, and life more abundant. Here, Paul says it. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is is life and peace. What does it mean to have your mind set on something? It's more than just the way you think. It's the things that you choose, the things you desire, the things that you're interested in. It's your ambitions. It's the innermost core of your heart. Friends, those who are fleshly minded, they think of only the here and the now. 
The fleshly mind thinks of what satisfies in the present. The fleshly mind is set on temporal things, things which are fleeting, things which will pass away, things which will lead to your demise, things which ultimately render you dead in trespasses and sins and separated from a holy God. The person who is fleshly minded wakes up in the morning and their entire day is ruled by pleasing the flesh. They might have a thought or two about God during the day, but actually they would rather God stay out of the way. They'll call God when they need him. They treat God no, matter, no better than the dog in their backyard. They're glad he's there. They feed him every once in a while. They pat him in the head when they walk in the door, but stay in the backyard. They don't play with him. They don't play fetch with him. But let a robber break in, and what do you want? You want that dog to bark. That's how people treat God. They're their own God. They go their own way. They do their own thing. They're walking toward death, hell, and destruction. Verse 7, the mindset on the flesh, Paul says, is enmity with God. The mindset on the flesh is at war with God. If this is your mindset today, if all you think about are fleshly things, you are at war with God. Enmity, Greek word, ekthra, the antonym of agape. Think about that for a moment. Agape is what? God's unconditional love. The word that Paul uses here, ekthra, is the antonym of agape love, meaning that the person who has the mindset on the flesh, they hate God and they war against him with the same passion and intensity with which he loves us. The mindset on the flesh sets itself against God in every way. You are against his holiness, against his justice, his truth, his power, his providence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, all of his attributes, even his existence. You would wish that he didn't possess the perfections that he possesses, that he were not present in all places, that he were not acquainted with all things. You wish that God wasn't so holy that he hated your sin. You wish that God wasn't so holy that he wouldn't punish it. You wish that he wasn't so mighty that he was actually able to do it and so true that he will fulfill his threatenings as well as his promises in fact, you wish there were no such thing as God. What a damnable mindset this is. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, Paul says, and in fact is the antithesis to God. The antithesis to the law of God. Everything the law says do, you do the exact opposite. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. You say, well, I'm good. I don't fit in one of those categories. Listen to how Paul closes it out. And things like these. You know what that does? That encompasses all of us. The mindset on the flesh is opposed to God. And left to its own schemes, its own devices, its own power, it can never become subject to the law of God. Verse 8, 
those who were in the flesh cannot, say it again, those who were in the flesh cannot, say it again, those who were in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. Galatians 5.21, Paul says, I forewarn you about these things. Because if you practice them, he says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. You see, this is what we all do at this point. Our flesh kicks back. And our flesh says, that's not true. Our flesh pushes back against this notion of a righteous and holy God who will actually judge the unrighteous and cast the unrepentant into a lake of fire. Our flesh says, that, that's, that, that doesn't really happen. I'm reminded when I was a young preacher, I was, there was a, a young man in, in the town that we pastored in, and, and I knew of him. He was, he, he was just not a very nice guy. Certainly didn't have the fruits of the Spirit in his life. Very mean. Everybody knew him as a drunk, as a drug addict. And one day, while he was drunk and while he was high, he went across the road and got hit by an 18-wheeler. Died instantly. I, did, I didn't know him. I knew of him. I didn't know his family. I had no relationship with him whatsoever, but I knew the life he lived. So I thought to myself, maybe I should go visit his parents because this is a good opportunity. I don't know how they live. Maybe this will be an opportunity for me to share the gospel with them. And so I went over to the house, and I'll never forget this. I went, walked up on the front porch, and there the mom and his sister were sit, sitting, and I began to have a conversation with them. And I said, you know, I'm the pastor of Second Baptist. I'll be glad to help you. I'll be glad to walk alongside of you if I can help you in your time of grief. If you need the church building, we'll do whatever we can to come alongside of you during this time. Just trying to love on them a little bit. And I'll never forget what they said back. They said, no, we don't need you and we don't need the church. We're actually already planned a memorial service for him in the bar. And we're going to all raise a glass and celebrate the fact that he's in a better place. Now, can I tell you what every believer in the room just thought? You thought exactly what I thought on the front porch that day. No, he's not. <laughs> Thank you, Mar. <laughs> he didn't show any fruits of righteousness. He was obviously lost. He was apart from God. He was cast into outer darkness and in that place where the worm never dies and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. All of you just thought that. But let me talk to any mom or any dad or any grandma or any grandpa in this room this morning who has a family member that's living the exact same way. If the tables are turned this morning and it's your loved one, now guess what? Everyone who just a moment ago said, that guy's lost. Suddenly our flesh rises up and we begin to reason out every possible scenario that we can fathom to prove our loved one's salvation. Friends, I want you to know that this idea of universalism, all roads lead to heaven, is a lie of the enemy. Amen. Revelation twenty-two fifteen. 15, outside, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral persons, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Here's what I'm telling you. 
Just look at the mindset of the individual. Is their mindset on the things of this world? Is your mind set on the things of this world? Because if their mind or your mind is set on the things of this world, pleasing the flesh, chances are they or you are lost. And you need to start pleading with the Lord to save your sons and daughters. This is not a game. Their soul hangs in the balance, and we can't go on glossing over the truth. And the truth is, if they were filled with Christ, they would have a different mind than they do. Because what Paul highlights, there's a mindset of the flesh, but there's a mindset of the spirit. You see, what everybody wants this morning is assurance. How can I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? Well, let me ask you this question. What overwhelmingly captivates your thoughts? What captivates your thoughts? I think right here at Valentine's Day, this is probably the most fitting way that I can illustrate this. Just think for a moment of a young couple. It's a budding romance. It's a young boy and a young girl. The first time they saw each other, it was love at first sight. Any of y'all remember what that was like to be in love at first sight? Men, you better raise your hand right now. Every man in the room, put your hand in the air. Because if not, your wives are already thinking murder and you've caused them to sin. Okay? Wow. Love at first sight. Now, you know what it's like. That courtship begins. It's this beautiful thing to watch. These two young people, they begin to discover one another. Likes, dislikes, good, bad. Their heart falls more and more in love. Now, if you could take that young man or that young girl and you could actually take what's going through their mind and put it on the screen this morning and see their thought process, this young couple who's in love, do you know what their mind would look like? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're thinking about that other person. That's it. They think about them constantly. When they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is shoot a good morning text. When they get off work in the afternoon, the first thing they do is try to fight so they can hope to see that person for just a few moments. When they lay their head down at night, the last thing they do is call the person and say good night. It consumes everything about the individual. That's a great illustration of what Paul's saying here in Romans 8 9. However, don't you love that? He's now turning his attention to the members of the church at Rome. However, he says, you are not in the flesh. But you are in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. The mindset of the Spirit is what? Life and peace. What a distinction. Totally opposite. The mindset on the flesh is set on death. The mindset of the spirit is set on life. Friends, the person who has entered a relationship with Christ, Christ consumes their thoughts. When you wake up in the morning, you can't wait for that one-on-one -on -one devotional time in prayer. On your way to work, you've got the praise music blasting, and you're doing that ugly singing in the car that we do sometimes. <laughs> Throughout the day, you're praying, thinking about your 
favorite Bible studies. When you go to the bathroom at work, you're whistling, Jesus loves me. When you go home at night, before you lay your head down, you're not concerned with vain pursuits. You're still seeking to grow, and the last thing you do before you close your eyes is say good night to Jesus with a prayer. Jesus consumes every fiber of your being. Now let's just say for a moment those two people get married. Does that love grow cold? I hope not. I hope that the love you have for your spouse only continues to grow. And I hope you're still pursuing your spouse today the same way you pursued him or her before marriage. You see, the truth is, the longer we're married, the more our love for that individual should grow. You think your mind's consumed with an individual when you're dating. Just wait till you're married. I think about summer all day long. If you don't believe that, ask Breeze and Caleb how many times I call her every day. Probably 30 times a day I call this girl on the telephone. I love her today more than the day I married her. And I'll love her tomorrow more than I do today. Why? Because love grows. It endures all things. It hopes all things. It believes all things. Love will never end. That's how our love for Christ should be. As our hearts grow in him, we should grow in our love for him. And as we grow in grace and our maturity and our walk, we should love him more today than we did yesterday and more tomorrow than we do today. Why? Because your mind is set on the things of the Spirit. Remember 1 John. 1 John says that the Spirit testifies of Christ. So if the Spirit of God is in you, then the Spirit of God is always, always, always going to point you to Christ. He's going to be the central thought of everything you do. He's going to be the center of your relationships, the center of your marriage, the center of your family, the center of your career, the center of your extracurricular activities, the center of your friendships. He is going to be the central thought of everything you do. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ. Your mindset has now changed. What does Galatians 5.22 say? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 24 and 25, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we will also walk by the Spirit. Doesn't that sound like Romans 8, 10? If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Friends, if the Spirit of God is alive in you, you can't claim to be a Christian and go on living in sin. Remember, God is holy, and an unrepentant sinner cannot dwell in his presence. So if an unrepentant sinner cannot dwell in his presence, and the Holy Spirit is in you, then guess what? If you are a believer and sin enters the camp, there will be an immediate response of the Holy Spirit internally. Friends, if you or anyone claims to be a believer in Christ and you can sin and sin and sin and sin 
and there's no godly sorrow and there's no conviction and there's no desire to repent, you are lost. The saved person will feel immediate conviction of the Holy Spirit when they sin. They will be gripped by sorrow, a sorrow which will lead to repentance and a life of holiness. The person whose mindset is on the Spirit will be miserable until they repent before a holy God and rid themselves of the sin they are ensnared in. Friends, this is the mindset of the Spirit. The mindset of the Spirit is set on holiness. The mindset of the Spirit is set on heavenly things. Be ye therefore holy as I am holy, God said. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Friends, it is incongruent scripturally to say that a person who claims to be born again can enjoy the pleasure of sin. It's absolutely untrue. If the Spirit of God is in you, you can never enjoy sin even for a season. Only misery. If you enjoy sin in the flesh, you need to check your heart. Where is your mind? You see, what you have before you in Romans 8 is what carpenters call a plumb line. A plumb line is a straight line that a carpenter will draw and uses it to gauge all the work that follows, making sure that everything's in a straight line. And what God's given you in Romans 8 is a spiritual plumb line. He's given you a straight line to be able to judge. Are you lost or are you saved? And here's the way you tell. Is your mind set on the things of the flesh? I mean, is what drives you, is what consumes you, then you are lost. Is your mindset on the Spirit? Is it overwhelmingly captivating everything you do? Then you are saved. And friends, you cannot straddle the line. As one person used to say, he says that there's two fields, and one is saved and one is lost. He said you can't straddle the fence because Satan owns the fence. You're either all in or you're not in at all. This is a straight line to judge. Are you in line with the Word of God and the Spirit of God? Verse 13, Paul says, Those who live according to the flesh will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Where's your mind? Some of y'all might remember that old comic, Peanuts. There's a one comic where Charlie Brown tells Lucy that he's building a birdhouse. And in that comic, this is what Charlie Brown says. He says, I'm a lousy carpenter. I can't nail a straight line. I can't saw straight. And I always splinter the wood. I'm nervous. I lack confidence. I'm stupid. I have poor taste and absolutely no sense of design. And then in the last frame of the comic, Charlie Brown says, so all things considered is coming along okay. <laughs> Can I tell you? That's where most of you are. 
There's so many people under the sound of my voice right now. That's where you are. You look at this plumb line that's in the scriptures. And you say, well, I go to church. I'm in Sunday school. I sing in the choir. I go to small group. I give my offering. I go to Valentine's banquets. But when you walk out the door of this place, we'd be shocked at the things you're doing because your mindset is on the flesh. You're lost and you know it. How do you know? Where's your mind? My hope is that today we as a church would all yield to holiness. And we imagine what it would look like if a church this size, we were living for a holiness, separated from sin. We would definitely be a peculiar people. It's my prayer that that's our heart, that we all want to live a life with our minds set on the Spirit. And if that's you today, praise God, glory to God. Pray for those around you. Pray for the lost. Pray for your sons, your daughters. Pray that we'd have a heart of holiness. But for those of you in the room today, as we begin to sing this hymn of invitation, Brother Caleb and the musicians are going to come. Maybe you're here and you realize today, you know what, my mindset is not on the things of God. I'm here right now, I'm thinking about God now, but I already have plans of the sin I'm going to commit when I walk out the door. If that's you, you really need to check yourself. Paul says, examine yourself to see if you are in Christ. So take a moment as we begin to sing this hymn of invitation. It's late, so we're going to sing one verse. Take a moment to examine your heart. And if you're not in Christ, we're going to ask you to come down to this altar and take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. It'd be our greatest joy to walk with you and a new life with Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we love you. We give you the glory. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the text. How convicting it has been in my life all week. I do not stand up here as a man with a puffed out chest saying, look at me. My mindset is perfect all the time. No, Lord, I'm reminded of the old preacher that said when you point one finger at them, you remember you got three pointing right back at you. And God, I've had fingers pointing at me all week. This text has sliced me up. And there have been so many times this week that I've said to Summer, that I've said to Tucker and Noah, that I've said to Caleb, man, the mindset of the flesh is on the things of the flesh. And it has convicted my heart. And God, I pray that we would be a people set apart. We would be a people who have a yearning and a desire for holiness as a church corporately. But then I pray for those individuals in the room today that maybe while this sermon was being preached realized that they've never given their life to Christ. The joy of the gospel is that you have paid the debt that we owe. On Calvary's cross, you took our sin. You died in our place. You resurrected three days later. And today, if we put our faith and trust in you, if we confess that our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is rich to all who call on him. And so, Lord, if there'd be anybody under the sound of my voice right now that doesn't know you, I pray that as we begin to sing this song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, they would run down these aisles. Because we're only singing one verse. They'd run down these aisles and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. If you'll rise to your feet and sing along with us one verse, you need to be saved, you come today, Sweet Hour of Prayer.
so thankful for you being here today if you are a visitor please swing by that connections card and turn in that card for us so we can come alongside of you and your walk with Christ we're also so pleased today to welcome our new youth minister and his wife Justin and Shannon Caffey and Shannon's parents as well are here with us today you might have saw this in an email earlier this week or in the bulletin there is a drop-in reception for them okay you don't have to stay in fellowship or anything like that. It's really designed just to go shake their hands, introduce yourself, grab you a cupcake, and go home for the afternoon. But there is a drop-in reception for them in the fellowship hall immediately following the service. So if you want to make your way over there and get to know them a little bit better, that'd be great. Y'all can go ahead and head that way if you want to. Uh, also, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give online, flatcreekchurch.net, or you can give on your way out the door, however God leads you to give. Friends, thank you so much for being here. We hope you have a great afternoon. I'm pulling for the 49ers in case anybody wants to know. That's only because I'm a Carolina Panthers fan, and that's the only hope I have is the 49ers. Uh, but listen, Caleb is going to pray for us on our way out. We love you. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Lord, we thank you so much for the day, the sweet time of worship and teaching. Lord, I pray that we take this challenge to heart. Lord, I pray we preach the gospel to ourselves everywhere we go and to those around us as well. Lord, I pray we examine our hearts, and before we go to bed tonight, be honest with ourselves. Are we spirit-minded or are we flesh-minded? And Lord, I pray we would get right with you no matter where we're at or who we're with. We would find ourselves on our face before you. We love you. We thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.
gave his hands to the ones that drove the nails and on that rugged tree he gave his life to me he gave peace to the fearful in a storm one night
97.5 Glory FM, North Georgia's Southern Gospel Music Station. Seven five Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia.